Welcome, friends, to another episode of The Human Voice. As always, this is Bob Hutchins. And today, I have Dr. Brian Boxer-Wackler with me, widely known as Dr. Brian. He's a popular social media influencer, and he's most prominently on TikTok, where he has 3.4 million followers. His previous book, Perceptual Intelligence, The Brain Secret to Seeing Past Illusion, Misperception, and, self and Self-Deception, it shook the worlds of neuroscience and psychology, coining the acronym PI for perceptual intelligence. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. And educating countless readers on how to better understand the world around them and make better decisions. He's the medical director of the Boxer Waxler Vision Institute in Beverly Hills and a staff physician at Los Angeles Cedars Sinai Medical Center. He's pioneered medical and surgical treatments that have become industry standard. Dr. Brian is one of only two influencers worldwide to be selected as a member of the Advisory Committee for Identifying Credible Sources of Health Information in Social Media for the National Academy of Medicine, Council of Medical Specialty Societies, World Health Organization. He lives in Los Angeles with his wife and their twin teenage daughters who encouraged him to become a social media influencer. Dr. Walkler, Dr. Brian, as you're known, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me here, Bob. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. As uh, those of you who cannot see on the podcast, since this is just audio, you're standing in your office, in your scrubs. I'm assuming you just finished your work day or are you taking a break now? I'm done with the morning. <laughs> That's right. Because mm -hmm. you're in LA. Right. So, Dr. Brian, how does an eye doctor and eye surgeon end up writing a book about the effects of social media. Tell me your story because I know there's a story behind it. There is, and it wasn't something originally that was being planned, but during the pandemic, my twin daughters, who at the time were 14, they said to me, Dad, there are some really good doctors who are on TikTok, and we think you'd be great, and we can help you get started if you want. So I had a lot of unaccustomed downtime at that point and thought, okay, well, let's just give it a shot. They got me in there, jump-started me, and I started to find a really fascinating trend overall in social media is that there was oftentimes videos going viral, but the content wasn't true at all. And mm -hmm. I'm talking specifically for health information, not just, you know, I'm an eye surgeon, I specialize in keratoconus. But it was all types of health information. So I took it upon myself to do research and have good science behind me when I would call out these videos as being not true. And in TikTok, there's something where you can do a side-by-side -side video, a duet as it's called. And I would say in Gen Z lingo that something was CAP, C-A-P. So for a lot of adults listening, they're probably like, what's that mean? So in Gen Z, that's their, their term to say something's not true or BS. And eventually, I even started to put on a blue hat, which is the emoji for cap, you know, and you feel like a dry phone. And that started taking off. And I was feeling a, a need for somebody to not quite police, but somebody reputable that the community in social media could go to for information that's you know, whether it's true or not. And that's kind of how it all started. And obviously, it kind of took off, right? Did it, was it like a slow ramp? Or did you, were you surprised when you 
posted a video or two and people started responding. In the beginning, I was, you know, kind of the videos weren't doing much at all until I started to find my, my niche. And that's when I was calling out those videos as being true or not true. Mm. And that's when people really started watching the videos a lot. They have an algorithm that determines what goes viral. And I was starting to see these videos blowing up. And I realized, okay, this is where I need to focus. And that's when things really took off. And you know, I'd wake up in the morning and some days have 20,000 new followers or 50,000 new followers, which is just mind-boggling. Mm. And But I realized there's a big need out there. So I started really you know, taking the mindset, I'm doing a community service through this process. Yeah. So you, so it started off as something you were curious. Your daughter said, Dad, you should do this. You did. Obviously, the public confirmed that there was a need for it. And you were you weren't just posting things to 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 make yourself the center of the universe or to be funny or to get views. You're actually providing helpful information as a doctor and providing a service, as you could say. But what began to happen, because I know there's a bigger story to that, of how you yourself fell into the effects of it. What, what was going on? Well, then I started having the thought, well, I should look at maybe doing a book about this because I can speak not only as somebody of science and having myself published over 50 peer-reviewed journal articles in the medical literature, but also somebody now who has experience on the inside as an influencer, which is a rare combination. And so my, you know, that that's how the the whole idea for the book Influenced came about. But in that process, I started getting consumed by what I was studying and evaluating, which is the whole obsession with growth, with your videos on social media. And unbeknownst to me, what was going on was every time I got a video that got 100,000 or millions of views, I stimulated this hormone neurochemical in the brain called dopamine. And it's a very powerful neurochemical. It's what's behind a lot of activities that make us feel good and want us to do more, like drugs, gambling, sex, social media, for example. Mm. So I started not realizing how much time I was taking away from my family, my, my kids and my wife, to be at home when I'd come back from the office in the kitchen just on my device, just scrolling and answering people's DMs and responding to comments and just even just refreshing my screen to see how many more views my video got and doing TikTok lives. It was just, you know, really off the rails. And, but I didn't have any insight at the time that essentially I was addicted to social media. Mm. And, but your family saw this, right? They definitely saw this. They definitely saw this. How, 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 how did that work? If you're obviously your daughters were on TikTok, they're the ones that said, Dad, you need to do it. But but what you're saying is you weren't you were even going beyond what they were engaged in as a normal American teenager. Am I reading that right? Yeah, they just didn't have any idea I would be so obsessed with growing my platform. Now, in the beginning, we had sent bent we had set benchmarks. So I said, when I hit 10,000 followers. I'm going to buy myself a new iPad because I would work off of an iPad. <laughs> and then we would hit 10,000 followers. And I'd say, well, when we hit 100,000 followers, 
to make, I mean, I set these goals to make it fun and also to have some structure to aim for something with them. I said, when we hit 100,000 followers, I'm going to take you on a vacation on the weekend to go to this island off of Los Angeles called Catalina Island. Okay. Well, that weekend, I actually hit a million followers. Mm. But I was really upset because in the hotel room, there wasn't good Wi-Fi. And I wanted to be doing a TikTok live and doing my TikTok stuff, even on the vacation weekend with my daughters. And it became whenever we were having a dinner, I was, well, let's put it this way. Whenever we were having a meal, TikTok was always being brought up and essentially I was the one bringing it up. Mm. And it just, you know, they were seeing what was happening, but at the time I, I was oblivious. And so what ultimately did it lead to? Because I know that that in your book, you talk about it and, I, and, and I've, I've read, obviously, that, that section of the book. It talks about your family had to have an intervention. Is that correct? They literally did. One day they just said, we have to talk to you. And we had this sit down intervention, like a Dr. Phil type intervention. And they said, you have just gone overboard with TikTok. It's taking away from the time with your family. You can't get this time back. Mm. And it's a problem. And you really need to cut back on this. And at the time, I was not happy about this. I said, you're the ones who got me started. And now, are you jealous because of the success I had? You know, I, I just was being defensive about this because, I, again, I didn't see what was really happening. And so I walked away in a little bit of a huff, almost doubling down, saying, I'm going to show you, I'm going to grow even more my platform, you know, with my followers. And then I got something that's called a, one of my videos got taken down for violating one of the community guidelines in TikTok. And at the time, the platform, my platform was basically suppressed for about two weeks. My, you know, my account wasn't taken down, but just the violation, you know, led to the algorithm suppressing all my videos. So I kept trying, you know, posting more videos, trying to go viral. Nothing was happening. And basically that forced me into a state of withdrawal mm. where I then had the realization of what had been going on. And I felt terrible about it, in fact. I mean, it was very emotional when I had that realization. Hmm. and saw that I had been sort of neglecting, you know, my family to a degree hmm. and felt really bad. It was very emotional for me at that at that moment. And I did apologize to them and they accepted it. And when I got back to my account out of purgatory, so to speak, I came at it with a very sober perspective on not being so over the top with social media and having a more balanced way of living life. So I went through that whole period myself, which is the irony as a doctor, you would expect that's like the least likely person. But at the end of the day, I, you know, we all have flaws and I have a flaw. I I have flaws too, and of course, and that was one of my flaws, which, you know, is the reason why I took it upon myself to write the book influenced and to do the research and to be transparent about my own experience to show people the tips and the tricks that I had learned to avoid the problems that I had. Yeah. So, yeah. So the book really encompasses not just my experience, but everything about social media, all aspects of it, the good and the bad. And ultimately for people or for parents or for teenagers, how to live a balanced life with it because it's not going away. It's just going to continue, in fact, to get bigger. Yeah. 
Well, thanks for sharing that. It was an amazing story, and I appreciate your transparency. And one of the things you mentioned earlier was this whole dopamine. And we've all, if you've been around and, and had any interest at all on this subject, people have, have, have heard about it. You contend that young people have become accustomed to turning to social media to maintain what you call the DBB, the dopamine behavior balance. And it's reflected in their brain activity. And obviously, not just young people, but apparently older people as well of all ages. Can you unpack that just a little bit for us? What are what it, What is the DBB? And then what is the effect when you're plugged into social media to, to maintain that balance constantly? So DBB or dopamine behavior balance is a term that I had coined to reflect that Pretty much every day we do things to give us some stimulation to make us feel good. And so traditionally, before we had social media, it could be something like, you know, exercising, hanging around people, laughing, sports, like I mentioned, exercise, listening to music, going to a concert, etc. Lots of activities can stimulate dopamine. But when social media really has when, when social media really blew up the way it has, what people found was that they could very easily, just looking at their phone, get that same stimulation of dopamine, whether they're a user by just watching videos or by creating content and seeing how people react to the content. And so because it's the path of least resistance, lowest hanging fruit, that's why we've seen social media blow up and addiction rates being so high, even among adults too. I mean, we speak mm -hmm. about mostly teen, teens and adolescents, but adults, there's a very high percentage of adults who report that they are addicted to social media too. Mm. You've studied, Dr. Brian, and written about perception. And perception is not just about how we see the world with our eyes, which is your specialty, obviously, but how we process and frame things with our brain based on many different factors. How does social media engagement affect our perceptions of the world around us? Can you talk about perceptual intelligence in that context? Well, and I'll define perceptual intelligence, which is the ability to separate fact from fiction or what's true and not true. And our perception or our perceptual intelligence is affected by lots of things that define who we are, such as how we got brought up, culture we are living in, religion, um, political biases, other biases, biases, etc., which may or may not allow somebody to see the truth about a certain situation or that they're watching or listening to, for example, or reading. So when it comes to social media, especially when we have teenagers whose cortex in their brain is not fully developed until usually mid-20s, they're especially susceptible to these impacts of videos going viral or influencers that they're following who are very popular and are susceptible to whatever influence, whether it's information from the influencer or its products or services being touted or just information that's being dispensed without the critical thinking skills. Mm. So... In fact, there's a whole chapter, Bob, in the book Influenced called Easy Prey and also Clicks and Cults that speaks to why young people are so susceptible 
to those effects of social media that affects their perception. And sometimes what they're watching or what we're watching, even as adults, you know, is appealing to people's inner desires. And so if it seems like an easy fix, people a lot of times won't think critically about that and maybe take a pause before just diving into it. And sometimes, you know, there could be just disappointing results by following something that's really not true, but sometimes it could be harmful or even deadly. Mm. Yeah. So perceptual intelligence is is that something that is specifically targeted on social media? Meaning, you know, I, I mentioned to you before we started the the media theorist Marshall McLuhan, and he he was a he was a, a lot of forethought, of almost a futurist, but he was a media theorist during the fifties, sixties, and seventies, and and wrote a lot about some of these things that we're now encountering. But one of the things he said is that all technology and all media specifically affects our perceptions. And it also is an extension of, of who we are as human beings. So the wheel was an extension of our foot. You know, computers, you could argue, are an extension of our brain. It, these technologies are all ways that man uses to extend and leverage and improve, however you want to say that. Um Having said that, social media and and the internet is an interesting extension of man and our perception because we're simultaneously all plugged in at the same time. And you can argue that it's symbiotic, meaning, you know, what I do influences your Google response and what I do on social influences you by stimulating your dopamine, by you know, showing others how popular this is or isn't. So this this weird nervous system that we're plugged into. It, it's interesting to me when you talk about perceptual intelligence, I say all that to say, do you believe that the world that we're plugged into on social media and that most of us spend, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten hours and up per day changes our perceptual, our, our perceptions and actually hacks it so that we don't even kind of, we almost leave reality. We're almost disjointed and disembodied for that period of time. Would you agree with that? Or how, how would you maybe reframe that? I think that makes sense because it certainly affects our perception. It, depending on what we're looking, information is now actually very polarized because the videos that go viral that most people are likely to see because of the way the algorithm recognizes when to push a video viral, which is typically when people have watched it more than once or they have a hyper, the video has a high percentage of people who watch the entire video. Mm. The last is a metric that people on TikTok can look at to see for a video they post. And usually it's the more extreme of something or something that is not common that will enable that will cause people to want to watch it again or watch it to completion. So we see, for example, information or political content being more polarized that is going viral because it's just more polarized. It's more shocking. It's more extreme. So that's not necessarily the accurate perception of even a group of people's opinion, but the small group of people with the extreme views on both sides of the political spectrum 
are more likely to have other people see it. And so that can affect people's perception of mm. what other people or what the reality is about a certain topic or a position of a, of a large group of people on the topic, as an example. I've often said that it would be an interesting experiment if we could all trade our, our cell phones or our iPads for the day with each other, because it's really interesting that where we've come in the technology is that it it's super customized. And like I said, sim, because of the symbiosis, but also the personalization, my feed on my social platforms, my Amazon account, um, all of those, even my Google responses are very different than say yours. And if you were to look at those things, you would say, oh, wait, that's not how my TikTok looks, or that's not how my Instagram looks, or that's not how th those are, that's not how my Amazon account looks. And the reality is we're all kind of, our perception of the world is very, very interesting or different. We used to all have markers where we would spend most of our day and also going, okay, this is true. This is a source of grounding for us. But it's almost like those lines have become very blurred because my understanding of the world, if, is it, if it is informed by the digital media, social, can be very unique to me only. Have you looked, have you studied that at all or, or, or does that ring true? That is 100% true because the algorithm looks to what type of videos, you know, Bob likes to watch versus Brian. And it's going to feed us more of the videos that we like to watch. So if somebody even loves cat videos, they're going to get a lot of cat videos, not many dog videos, for example. So essentially what it equates to is we're all in our own echo chamber on mm. social media because of the way the algorithm is treating us. Mm. One of your chapters is entitled Imminent Danger, I believe is chapter five. What serious threats are going on that may be hidden in plain sight? We've talked about, you know, the dopamine. We've talked about perceptual intelligence, echo chambers. But, but what, what serious threats beyond that do you believe are going on? This, the threats can be mostly directed at young people mm. because, again, they're more impressionable, like we talked about. Their cerebral cortex hasn't really fully developed, so they don't have the tools and the critical thinking skills. And one classic source of harm that we see over and over again is a, a trend that's gone on Instagram or TikTok and kids, teenagers following it and getting themselves hurt or even dying. Right. There was one trend where people were writing their name on a mirror in rubbing alcohol and then taking a match and lighting it up and filming it. So, okay, looks kind of like very dramatic and cool. You see your name on fire on the mirror. Well, this one girl had done that and the bottle of rubbing alcohol had created a lot of fumes mm. in the bathroom. And so when she lit the match, actually it ignited not just the mirror, but the fumes and it became like an explosive chamber and she suffered really severe burns and needed multiple surgeries, skin grafts, hmm. and unfortunately is going to be permanently disfigured because of that. Hmm. That's just one example, you know, where again, people aren't thinking through with critical thinking skills that this may not be a good idea. Uh, another one where kids would come up next to a friend, it was called the Skull Breaker Challenge, and they would tell their, like, one friend would come on both sides of a friend and say, hey, how high can you jump? 
So the friend jumps up in the air and then each of their friends kicks out one leg. So then the person just falls down, their head smacks the concrete. It looks almost like a cartoon, right? That you'd see like Wile E. Coyote in the Roadrunner. But unfortunately, these caused really severe concussions a lot of times. And, and some kids died because of that too. So those are just a few of the examples in that chapter. So you know, that chapter is really designed for people interested in how young people are susceptible to these effects, these dangerous effects, but also particularly for parents, for their kids too, to understand what's out there and ultimately to be informed and help their children. There's the final, one of the final chapters in the book is called Living with Social Media that then goes through the tools for people, for themselves, but also for parents to be able to help their children stay safe and, and be balanced on the platforms. Yeah, that's good. And I want to talk about that in a, in a couple of minutes. But before we do, I want to widen um, maybe the scope slightly because you've done such a great job talking about young people and the, 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 court, the prefrontal cortex development and, and obviously these dangers that, that kids. But I also have been noticing personally, and much of this is anecdotally, Dr. Brian, but I'm also developing a theory about this. I'm also seeing older people, i.e. baby boomers and above, really, really being affected by this. And, and specifically, when I go out and I'm, and I'm seeing, I might go to a restaurant and I see people sitting having dinner in their 60s, 70s, or even above. So many times I see them just like t zoomed in, almost like they're hypnotized on, on their iPhones. And they'll just sit there not even talking to each other, looking at each other, just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And simultaneously, I've talked to so many people that I know say, said, you know, I've, my relationship with my mom or my mother-in-law is really being strained because they're just so consumed with, you know, this news or this talk show person or whatever that they're hearing and they're getting. And part of my thought, and I'd love to hear your, your, your from, from a doctor perspective, part of that is, is certainly maybe they're coming to the party late in the game, you know, maybe they're getting caught up and this is new to them. But also they grew up in an environment where they weren't digital natives at all, far from it, in actually trusted voices, you know, the Walter Cronkites and the, the minimal uh, voices of authority that they had that was giving them news. And potentially carrying that over, you know, into a life now where they are susceptible to things that are being said. But ha have you thought any about that at all as well? There's a pretty good statistic that adults and baby boomers are also becoming addicted to social media too. Right. And your observation at dinner restaurants of people scrolling and scrolling and not communicating is becoming more and more common. And so when people don't realize, just even as myself as the case in point, what's happening, sometimes it's hard to have that insight, the self-insight that that is occurring and you are spending more time, hours go by before you even realized it. And it can strain relationships for sure between mm -hmm. people and couples and families and mm -hmm. children and parents and grandparents for mm -hmm. sure. Okay, so people like Tristan Harris and others, you know, have gone over here pretty far, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this, and have said, 
you know, this is a serious issue. And as an example, as when we looked at the tobacco industry, regulations, the government came in place and said, we know, you know, for X amount of decades, this has been pushed on us. uh, And we have created a world and an industry that's dependent on a product that made millions of dollars, but is actually harming people. And we know because we've done studies and we have literally, there's people who die of cancer and and other smoke tobacco related things. And so we put some very specific regulations. You can still smoke, but you can't advertise it. You can still smoke, but you're going to pay extra taxes. You can still smoke, but you're going to, package is going to say this could kill you. Do you believe that we that there needs to be more engagement from maybe regulation, government, or at least starting to think in more serious ways on what kind of guardrails we can put? Because if kids are being are actually dying, if you know the mental health, we know that there's been many, many, many studies over the past 10 years. What what is your opinion on maybe the future of how how do we deal with this? Do we hold these platforms responsible or is it just a personal thing that that we should all just kind of engage in? You bring up tobacco, which is a good analogy here because, you know, we know like tobacco, social media is designed. The companies do design the platforms and the algorithms to make us addicted. So it's like taking a match to a dry forest and it just consumes you without you even realizing it. And so how do we fix it? Really, that's kind of the key question. And, you know, how did we deal with the tobacco industry? You know, through legislation and litigation. The problem is, is that all the platforms, the social media platforms are legally shielded from virtually all liability from what they publish. So I would go as far to say, you know, do we need new legislation that rolls back some of those protections so that they are held accountable for what they publish? Hmm. You know, do we need an oversight committee? Do we have to insist when you open the apps that there's some kind of warning that pops up? Hmm. And I don't know the answers to those questions, but I do know we need to start having conversations about them. Yeah, I would agree 100%. It is it is a great analogy because um you know, you, you can go back today I'm a I'm a fan of well my career has been in advertising so I love old advertisements. But you can go back to the 40s and 50s and see advertisements for cigarette brands where there was a picture of a doctor smoking and the doctor oh, yeah. says this is good for you. It'll get rid of your cough. Oh, and while you're pregnant, it'll keep your weight down. Um, that was how they advertised. And again, not, not, to, not to be overly dramatic, but I believe we're, we're, getting, we're going to get to the same point with social media where we're saying this is such a great thing and it connects people. And it's not going away. I am pro-technology. It's my career. However, I do believe we've got to be honest and make some changes about the effects because the studies have proven out, even with the Facebook files that came out that they that were released from a whistleblower, that their own internal doctors and psychologists have said, yeah, th- there's some bad stuff going on as far as who we're influencing. Mm-hmm. 
So, and actually, Instagram also had some internal memos yeah. or presentations that got leaked that show that they are aware that teenage girls, the more time they spend on Instagram, the more they feel bad about their bodies, yep. which feeds into a condition called body dysmorphia and where they're just so focused on their bodies because they're comparing it to other people on Instagram. And of course, we had this when we had only magazines, but it's just much more amplified because you've got the phone in the palm of the hand all the time now. So it's body dysmorphia and those issues just, you know, thousands of times fold what used to just be in the magazines, which people would look at occasionally, but not all the time. Yeah, exactly. To 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 wrap up or to to kind of start to wind this down in a in a more helpful positive note, how how do you still engage with social media and even maintain the levels to use it for business or or even you can still be an influencer like you still are and still be responsible and lead a balanced life. I know you have a chapter about that. Can you give some some guidance for us? Well, for me personally, when I took my foot off the pedal and decided, you know, however many millions of followers I have, I'm good with that. I'm not obsessed about growing it anymore the way I used to be. So that for me was a big, big one. Just take literally take my foot off the gas. And so in terms of how people can live with social media in a balanced way, if they feel it's getting out of hand is number one, just don't check your phone when you wake up in the morning for social media updates. And also last thing you go to bed, last thing you do before you go to bed, don't check your social media feeds either. Just break that habit and then turn notifications off. So you don't hear your phone buzz or beep or vibrate and you don't even see it come up on a locked screen. So you can turn off notifications on your phone too. Mm -hmm. And make sure when you go out to dinner or you're with people, Leave your phone behind. Maybe keep it in the glove compartment of your car. Leave it at home. When I go out for dinner, I don't even bring my phone anymore. So I literally just make it physically impossible. So I set myself up with the guardrails for protection. But the the whole chapter, there's that whole chapter in the book called Living with Social Media that really gives a lot of these great tips and tricks and pearls for people, for themselves, but also for parents, for their children, and how to successfully manage their children's social media. Because one thing, one study showed that I talked about is that if you just cut them off cold turkey, that's going to backfire. So there are some strategies for parents to be able to help navigate with their children, their social media. So they have credibility. Yeah. How, if you don't mind asking real personal question, how, how do you manage that with your daughters? I know that they might be a little bit older now, but I'm sure that growing up or even maybe still now, are there some rules in the house that you follow or that they, that they abide by that maybe you're all learning together, but beyond what you just said? My situation with my kids was a little unique because for that period of time, they were the grownups in the room and (laughs) I was the child. (laughs) So they saw what had happened to me. So in matter, as a matter of fact, they're the ones who were balanced. Um, Mm from the beginning, the get-go, essentially, with it, which is not the case for pretty much everyone else <laughs> and their kids. But they, being now 16, they're in 11th grade, the you know college prep and the courses you know, just take so much of their time. So, And they do outside activities, extracurriculars, too. So I'd say 
that's a good thing for parents to make sure their kids are doing extracurricular activities, whether they're sports or other things, clubs, et cetera, to keep them occupied and not just where they come home and they get their homework done and now they're locked in their room for hours on their phone. You got to have them out there doing stuff. That's great. That's great. Well, Dr. Brian, I want to thank you for your time. But before we go, I want to talk about or give people information about the book. It's called Influence, the Impact of Social Media on Our Perception. Where can people buy it? I'm assuming all normal places, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, et cetera. Yeah, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, bookstores across the whole country and even in other countries too. And for people that like to listen to books... I recorded it in studio, so it's on Audible. And so that gives an extra personal touch with the author when the author records it, which is why I took the time to do that, which took a lot of work, but I, I'm very happy on how it turned out. And people love it, that love listening to books too. Have you had some feedback? I know it's only been out a few months, but I'd love, I always am fascinated to hear how, how, what people get out of a book because, you know, 10 people can read the same book and each, it resonates very differently. Any, any testimonials that, that you could share to this point? Sure. People have already been putting reviews up on Amazon and other places. And I think one of the common themes is that this is everything you want to know about social media because I'm not just somebody from the outside analyzing it and reporting on studies, but I'm also in the trenches got my hands dirty, blood on my face, so I can talk from the insider perspective as well and add that. And also, people really appreciate and are surprised to learn about all the other tips from other influencers I interviewed, too, mm -hmm. for the book that I had met along the way. So I've got a lot of really great insights from other people super experienced with millions of followers, too. And a lot of people appreciate that as well. Most surprising review came from Harvard Business Harvard Business Review when they had covered the book and I wasn't even aware that they were doing that and they were just very complimentary and very high accolades for it so that was almost like a as a writer a career highlight to be featured in Harvard Business Review do you find and we didn't we didn't touch on this but you did just mention it do you find that the other influencers that you interviewed was the story very similar to yours? As In terms of their personal experience, yeah. going overboard, it was. Yeah. Everybody where I really had an in-depth interview with had confided and confessed essentially that they had similar challenges with it overtaking them and straining relationships mm. with their significant others, with their kids, et cetera. So it definitely was an eye-opening experience for me to hear that I wasn't alone. And it seems like almost all influencers go through that phase at some point mm. and have to one way or the other rein it in. Yeah. Yeah. And either rein it in or we've seen, unfortunately, how that story can play out to to its worst conclusion. And I think what you're doing is is sounding a much needed alarm. And, and most of all, what I appreciate is that your transparency and honesty that you as a doctor and a well-respected doctor didn't have to didn't have to write this, nor did you have to talk about your own emotional struggle and how, again, your your own family had to 
had to call you out on it. And that is so, so beautiful that you can share that with the world because there's so many people I think are suffering in silence or maybe they don't even realize what they're doing, not only to themselves, but to their family. The vicarious effects of social media is something you don't hear a lot about. And actually, my inspiration was my patient, who was my good friend, Stephen Holcomb. And he had a condition called keratoconus, what I specialize in treating. And after I treated him, he won a gold medal at the Olympics, which was the first in bobsled. He was a bobsled driver in 62 years, which was really pretty dramatic. And then he eventually had a book published about his story. And he revealed all the struggles he had mental health-wise because of his keratoconus before he found his way to me. And so I saw the feedback people were giving him for being so 100% holding nothing back. And I figured, I saw that, how the ripples went out to help people. And I figured, I'm going to do the same thing and just be open and transparent about my own experience for the same reason. Yeah, that's beautiful. I always have said, and I believe with my own heart, that authenticity breeds authenticity. It's just a ripple effect, like you said. So so thank you for that. And last thing, if people want to follow you or connect with you, do you have the same, is it the same social media handle on all platforms or, or is it different? It's pretty similar. Some of them is Brian Boxer Walkler, MD. Others are Dr. Boxer Walkler, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or YouTube. So if you put in some version of that, you'll you'll find me on the on the platforms. And if you do that, also like in Amazon, like the book will come up as well for Influenced. Awesome. The book is Influenced by Dr. Brian Boxer Walkler. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day and and talking to me. My pleasure, Bob. It was great to be with you today. I'll talk to you soon. 